0: We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor Brian Hunt. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, if you stuck in late, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are we exist for one reason, and that is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. So if you and your family are here for the first time, we want to help you do that. The past four weeks, we've been looking at how we discovered Jesus. And last weekend, you should know that over 45 people came forward to be able to take their seat at the table, to accept Jesus, to come back to finding who Jesus was. So that's something we celebrate. And if that is something that you did, we want to walk that journey with you. So anything that we can do to help you follow Jesus more is, is why we exist. Um, Now now today I want to talk about something I believe is really important for us as a church, as Christians. Uh, But to begin, I just want to kind of tell the story. When my wife and I, uh, Sheree, we lived in Chicago for about 13 years. uh, But before we moved there, my wife is originally from Sioux Rapids, Iowa, which is 700 people, no stoplights at all. Okay, Uh, that's where she was from. I'm from Rapid City, South Dakota, which is known for Mount Rushmore, and that's about it. And and so we, we were transplanted into the third largest city in the nation uh, in, in Chicago. And so we were kind of just shell-shocked a little bit. Like there was like lights, you know, traffic lights. Sheree was amazed at that. And there was more than like gas stations. I couldn't believe that. Like that was amazing. And so we were kind of trying to figure out what we needed to do. But before Sheree moved there with me, I, I moved there first for a job that I, was ha- that I had But I needed to find us a place to live. My job was to find our apartment. Uh, And and so I looked everywhere. Because the company I worked for, they gave me three nights in a hotel as part of the the moving package to be able to move to Chicago. Come to think of it, that was the only part of the moving package that they gave me was three nights in a hotel. That was about all I had. So I had to find a a place for us to live, newlyweds, to find a place to live. Which needed to say really three things. One, I love you, Cherie. Uh, And then two... I'm not an idiot, um, and, and, and three, you don't have to wear your shoes to bed at night because the floors are nasty, right? So those are really the three main things that I needed to accomplish, and I looked everywhere until I finally found a place. It was a one-bedroom apartment for $800. It was a one-butt kitchen, which means that only one butt at a time could be in it, all right? Uh, and, and we live right next door to a, an elderly couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Darcy, uh, so I felt like I had, like, hit a home run. You know, I'd found someplace that was safe, the, the neighbors, we didn't have to worry about them, like, throwing a kegger, more about them breaking a hip, you know, it was just more like, you know, you had to worry about that a little bit. And so we moved there, but when we moved, we knew no one, like, literally no one. So it was Sheree and I as a married couple, you know, you always think you could conquer the world. We bought a ficus, too, so we had, it was like Sheree and me and our ficus tree. That's, we were taking on the Chicagoland area. It was amazing. But after we found our apartment, we needed to find a church because Sheree and I both had personal relationships with Jesus. We 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 loved going to church. Our first date was at going to church, which is a really cool thing. And so we needed to find a place uh, to to worship. And so that was kind of on me also. So while I was there earlier, I was doing the the wonderful church shopping. you ever done church shopping before? Okay, right. And maybe you're here today and you're church shopping yourself. And, I just want you to know, we don't want to know, you know, your DNA history. We're not going to ask you about that. We won't give you a casserole when you leave. Like, nothing like that. It's fine that you're here. We're just really glad that you're with us today. Uh, but I did that. I went to small, little conservative churches, all the way up to progressive, charismatic churches, anything in between. And I finally just got overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, I've got I to figure this out. So I, I called home to my youth pastor at the time. I said, hey, Bob, listen, I'm having a tough time out here. Can you help me find a church? He's like, don't worry, Bri, I got it. Hangs with the phone. Five days later, a letter comes in the mail. I open it up, and Bob had written me a small note on a piece of paper that had a Google printout of churches with one of them highlighted at the top. Why he didn't email me that information, I have no idea. But anyway, he emailed, or he gave me a Google print, and on the top of it said, Parkview Christian Church. So I said, I trust Bob, I'm going to tr- go for it. So I went to the church for the first time, but I went in my South Dakota Sunday best, which is, okay, black, black pants, a white shirt, black tie, uh-huh, right, black sport coat over the top, black long coat, because I live in Chicago, black leather hat and black gloves. I look like James Spader from Blacklist. Like, that's what I look like. You know what I'm saying? So I walk in for the very first time, And Pastor Tim Harlow meets me at the door. I'm not sure why he did that. I don't know if security told him or whatever, but he meets me. He meets me at the door, and he says, "Um, hey, are you here for a funeral? Or, like, what are you here for? And so I knew in that moment that if this lead pastor could make fun of me, a guest on my first day, I was home. This is my dude right here, you know? So I took off my coat, I sat down, and man, I tell you, I found home. Not only is Tim a great preacher, he's my mentor, he's a friend. You're going to hear from him in March, I cannot wait for you to hear him. But I was home. But that church of a little under 500 people then moved, and it became a church of thousands. And when I left there, it was close to nine to 10,000 people that go to that church, but what I remember about that church, as it grew and as I was a part of it, I never thought that that church was responsible for finding me my friends of being in community there. I, I, I never thought it was the church's fault when they weren't playing music that I didn't like. That, that I couldn't find a parking spot, that that wasn't their fault. That, I, that, I, that someone sat in my seat when I got there. <gasps> right? you know. It wasn't their fault, because check it out. I realized very early that the church was not about me, that it was about other people finding Jesus, and that wasn't their responsibility to give me community, okay? Now, what that meant is that I needed to put some effort into it, and so I joined growth groups. I got in small groups that we called them, and I got a community around me, and I met some of the best people I've, I'll have in my entire life. We had no family there, no friends there when we moved there. But when we were there, we found people that we did life together, went on trips together. We celebrated the births of our kids together. We, t- we studied the Bible together. We challenged each other. It was an important time, and those people were so, so important to me, and they are to this very day. Because here's the deal. Tim was a great preacher. But here's the reality of it. Is I could go on the Internet, and I could find preachers that are ten times better than Tim... You could go on the internet and find preachers a hundred times better than me by far. So what would keep us from not running to the hills back to what we're used to in, little, in Midwest and what kept us there was, was the one another-ness of that church. It was the people that were around us that loved us and we had community with. And I pray, my hope, is that it's not me that would necessarily keep you here, but it would be the community of people that you have around you. The, the one another's that you have in your life. And so today, that's what I want us to really land on. It's the importance of having a one another attitude as believers in Jesus. That's what's so important. I'm going to explain a little bit more about that in a second. But but if you're here today, and and you're here, and you don't believe in God, you're not even sure about this whole Jesus thing, I, I really want you to listen close today. Because my guess is that you've either experienced personally, or you've heard from other people how Christians are like. And you probably have heard that we are racists, and we're biggest, and we're homophobic, and we're sexist, and we're legalists, we're judgmental, and we appear to be closed off and unapproachable to so many. And in a lot of respects, we deserve those labels. We deserve them. We have not done a good job of showing you what Jesus' mission was that we are followers of him, that we don't do a good job of reminding you that he came to seek and save the lost through grace and forgiveness and truth and mercy for everybody, not just the holy few. We've made the whole thing about us, not about you. And you just need to know, I am sorry. I am sorry. If you have walked away from Jesus or have not approached Jesus because of us, and not because of him, I am sorry. In fact, most people in this world, they really love Jesus. They really like him a whole bunch. Mahatma Gandhi was a Hindu, and he said these famous words. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I like, I like your Christ. But you guys are messing it up. So how do we, as Christ followers, not get in the way of Jesus? Because the gospel, by definition of the name, is good news. It's good news. So why are we making it seem like bad news by how we're living our life? In a fantastic book in the New Testament, Paul writes to his friend Titus. um, and, And he's writing to him because he's starting this church in Crete And and Titus was called by Paul to show the people of Crete, the young and the old, the men and the women, the free and the slave, all of them, how to live according to Jesus, how Jesus taught them to live. And he said, I want you to teach them how to live this way for one very important reason, and he defines it in verse 10 of chapter 2. And he says, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior Attractive. Now, this word attractive is a very interesting word in, in the Greek. Uh, it's the word kosmeo, kosmeo. And it means to adorn or to, uh, to, to make pretty. It's where we get the word cosmetics from, it's kosmeo. Only time in the entire Bible that this is used, this Greek word kosmeo. And Paul chooses to use the word "cosmeo" for one particular reason, and that is to talk about the teaching about God our Savior. And what is that teaching? That teaching that he's talking about is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's that Jesus came to save the lost by giving them grace. He says, I want you to make the gospel kosmeo. I want you to make it look attractive, which means that this is the reality that this means, that as Christians, we should live lives people are attracted to so they will be attracted to the gospel. Now, I know what's happening right now. There there are people right now that are getting all kinds of ants in their pants and their seats, and they're just like, hmm, hmm, Right? You're starting to open up an email to kind of send me an email here in a second. Um, You're going to voice dictate a message to text to me, okay? And, and, And you're thinking this. Wait, Pastor Brian, does this mean that you want me to live a life that is popular and worldly so people will think I'm attractive? Do you want me to go into debt to buy a bunch of stuff, fancy stuff, so people will look and say, hey, I want what you have? Don't you think, Pastor Brian, that if if we make the gospel look attractive, that we are actually cheapening the gospel? And to all you, what I would say is this. Start with this. (sighs) Just breathe for a second. Close the window of that email. Put your phone back in its holster just for a second, okay? And just hear me out. I am not saying that living an attractive life is living an extravagant life. That's the farthest thing from what God has ever promised. And my goodness, if you're listening to health and wealth preachers on the TV, that's just a bunch of lies. Because just think about this for a hot minute. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, was a carpenter that had no place to lay his head, the Bible tells us. That's not attractive. The followers of Jesus, his disciples, the closest ones to him, died gruesome, brutal deaths for believing in Jesus. That's not attractive. In the world that we live in, uh, being a Christian is more and more rejected and will cause you some cultural discomfort at the very least. That's not attractive. The message of the gospel is one that will, will say that you need to reject relative truth and you need to embrace the singular truth of Jesus, That's not attractive. So when I say that we need to live an attractive life, that does not mean that we compromise our beliefs. It does not mean that we live an inch deep and a mile wide. It doesn't mean that we distort Jesus and change him into something that's more palatable for people. It doesn't mean that we become moral relativists. Absolutely not. Living an attractive life for Jesus, listen is about living a life like Jesus called us to live. And when we do that, it's amazing how attractive that is to people. I mean, when you live an authentic life following Jesus in every way, shape, and form, you will stick out like a sore thumb. You will be a tractor beam of intrigue to people me give some examples. For instance, if you get out of debt and you don't buy things that you can't afford and you are generous with your money, people are going to want to know why you're doing what you're doing. That's attractive. If you save yourself before marriage and you choose not to have sex until your wedding night, let me just tell you right now, people are going to snicker at you but deep down they're going to respect you and they're going to want what you have. That's attractive. If, If you choose to speak well of people and not gossip It will cause some awkward moments at work, but I'm telling you, those people are going to know that they can trust you. That's attractive. If you make serving people a priority in your life and you think of others before yourself, you will be taken advantage of from time to time. But I'm telling you right now, people are going to respect you and they're going to want what you have. That is attractive. Can you see what I mean? Living a life that follows Jesus should be attractive. Attractive because our world is begging to be attracted to something. They they will try everything they can to try to be attracted to all kinds of different things. I'll I'll give you an example. Just recently, the Baseball Hall of Fame announced their inductees into the 2020 class. Now, being into the Hall of Fame of the Baseball Hall of Fame is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Since 1876, there has been 17,742 players, of which 208 have gone into the Hall of Fame, which is only 1.17% of all major leaguers that get into the Hall of Fame. I had a friend that actually did some more statistics for me, and generally speaking, one out of every 482,000 high school baseball players will get into the Hall of Fame. That is a big deal, to be in the Hall of Fame. And in 2020 the Hall of Fame inducted two people into the Hall, and those people were Derek Jeter and Larry Walker. Derek Jeter is a New York Yankee. He should have been 100% inducted in the Hall of Fame, unanimous vote, one stiff decided not to vote for him, and so he didn't get in by that. He's in the Hall of Fame. But Larry Walker, on the other hand, he got in barely on the last chance of the last vote Larry Walker snuck in. Reality is, they both are in. It doesn't matter how you get in. You just get in, and they got in. Now here's the thing, the way the Hall of Fame tells you that you get into the hall is by a phone call, and you know when this call is going to happen. It doesn't sneak up on you, okay? And, and so they're waiting by the phone for this to happen, and, and, and so in our day and age, you know that everyone has a phone, everyone is videoing something, like somebody's tiktok at something, you know, you just know it's going down. But apparently, Larry must have not thought he was either going to get into the Hall of Fame or he just was in some other world where he thought no one was watching him. Because when he became one of the 1.17% of the people that get into the Hall of Fame, my boy Larry was wearing this. (laughs) My friends... That is a SpongeBob SquarePants bowling shirt, okay? (laughs) This is awesomely absurd, is it not, right? This dude is in the Hall of Fame, and he decides to wear this. Now, here's the cool part. Here's the cool part. The sales of this bowling shirt went through the roof the second (laughs) they saw it. Every Walmart sold out of the Spongebob shirt. Because people saw it, they're like, "Mm, I got to get me some Spongebob bowling shirt, you know. Here's what I'm saying. People are dying for something to follow. And if it's not Spongebob, maybe it's the next iPhone. Maybe it's the next Samsung phone. Maybe it's the next new pair of Jordans. Maybe it's the Magnolia Market new release. I don't know, you know. It's something. There's some other things that we follow that are much more detrimental, though. Sometimes we'll follow the addiction of a drug. We'll look for life in the bottom of a bottle. Be another relationship after another relationship after another relationship. We're looking for something. But I'm telling you, there's something almost magnetic About a life on fire for Jesus that people are drawn to like a moth to the flame. It's attractive to see. So how did Jesus tell us to live a life that would be attractive to people for his gospel message? How do we live in such a way that people are not repulsed by the good news of Jesus? And the answer is found in the one another's. In the New Testament, in the, the New Testament, there are actually 59 one-anothers that you find. 59 times that we are called to do something to one another. That this this idea that as we live our lives together. And the idea of one-anotherism is about living our life together, not apart, that no man or woman is an island, that we're created for community. That's why we talk about growth groups so much around here, to get involved and get in community. If you have not taken one of our rooted experiences, you need to do that. Honestly, it's one of the best things that we offer at this church. If you've not taken it, get involved because community is being with other people and it's so important. I'll say it this way today, that God designed us to be one another's for one another. God designed our entire existence as human beings around this idea of not living life alone. And we could trace it all the way back ...to the Garden of Eden. Look what it says in Genesis. It says, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God makes the man, looks at him for a hot second. He's like, "Woo boy, okay, this ain't going to work. We're going to need to bring somebody along, this dude, you know. So he makes woman to be his, he says, his helper. And we look at that word and we're like... Oh, look at that. He got a helper. That's so nice, right? Check this out. You know what helper means? It means co-warrior. Warrior. Warrior. He's just a helper. It's a warrior together to live life together. So so from the very beginning, God wanted us to, to one another each other in this life. And so as I looked at these 59 one another's, it really came down that there was four main categories that God was talking about as we one another, one another. And so I want to walk through these four with you today, not just so that you can live good lives, but that by living in a one another way that you are actually showing that the gospel is attractive by how you're living your life. So what I want us to do is to look at four ways we can one another, one another. Let's begin with number one. Number one is this, is to accept one another. Ten out of the 59 times one another is used to describe accepting one another. Foundation of that, if we look in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14, we read these words. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Blessed do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. (laughs) Now, I'm willing to guess that there's 100% of you that are probably starting to scratch your heads a little bit. And you're saying, Pastor B, how in the world am I supposed to accept one another? Don't you know what's happening in this world right now? especially in our cultural climate right now. I mean, just—I mean, we have different opinions about healthcare and sexual orientation and gender and marriage and especially politics, mm-hmm. right? If there's ever been a time in our world where we are not accepting one another be- across party lines, it would be now, would it not? So, so tell me this, how, how do we then accept one another with all this stuff swirling around us that is telling us to divide? And it's in this cultural climate that we need to remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. 5 verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, hey, if you really want to be my follower like really, 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 really want to be my follower, like for realsies, right? Then we need to not only endure each other, but we need to accept each other. Now listen to me, though. This does not mean that we will agree on everything. We may not have the same political views... ...or sexual orientation views... ...or marital views... ...or addiction views... ...or any other kind of views. We won't agree on all of that. But don't mishear my words... ...and don't think I'm saying something that I'm not. Because accepting one another... ...does not change what the Bible says. Accepting one another is not watering down God's words... ...so everyone will love it. But if the truth of the Bible is about grace and forgiveness and being there for one another, and Jesus says we should love our enemies, then we might not agree with one another, but we need to accept one another. But can I just, can I just say something that we oftentimes forget as Christians? Christians, listen. We are not each other's enemy. We're not. We are on the same team, Okay? So what that means is that when we fight against one another, instead of accepting one another, we are doing the exact opposite thing that Jesus said that we should be doing. He says so much in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world, may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Yeah. Guys, these are some of Jesus' last words on this earth before he's crucified. In his last words, his final breath, he chooses to speak about unity about being one another with each other and if you want to know what turns people off to being a christian more than anything else it's how we treat each other i mean listen if people see how we are treating each other as unloving and bashing and gossiping why in the world would anyone want to follow jesus if that's what they're going to get but if we are seen as accepting of each other, even if we don't agree, that, makes, something that go- makes, makes the gospel of Jesus look attractive. Accepting one another is not having to accept how they think or what they do or what they believe. It's accepting them as a person and being okay to one another someone no matter what. That's only the first one. <laughs> right? Right? That's number one. Number two, we gotta serve one another. We gotta serve one another. Thirteen are the fifty-nine times it says you gotta serve each other. Can you say serve with me? Serve, that's right. First Peter 4, starting in verse 10, says this: Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who accepts the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. To serve someone is to put your needs, your time, your desires, your preferences, you put them aside to give to somebody else. And in our current state of the world, this is the farthest thing for what anyone wants to do. We don't want to serve, we want to be served. And sadly, the church is no different. So many people at this church and in other churches around the world will come and go and never lift a finger. And what they'll do is they'll leave the exhausted 20% to do 100% of all the serving. But here's the thing. This isn't about a guilt trip, it's about a gift miss. Miss. And here's what I mean. Serving is part of what we do as a Christian. And and guys, we learn it from Jesus. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As followers of Jesus, we look to him as our example and our our model for what it looks like to glorify God through his life. And Jesus served, so we should serve. And I want you to think about this statement. Serving is a gift gift. Jesus gives us not a guilt he lays on us when we serve one another we truly show people that Jesus is inside us so if we really want to show others that Jesus matters to us then we should care about whether or not we serve and this could look like all kinds of different things could be mowing your neighbor's lawn just because it could be babysitting their kids so they can go on a date night it might be making a meal for somebody that just had a baby. It might be serving at the Modesto Gospel Mission and serving the poor. It could be any number of things. But as a Christian, I'm telling you, we should all be serving the local church in some way, somehow, to expand its kingdom. Some way. Because if you're not part of one of our tag teams here, whether it's the Route 56 group or other areas, you are missing out on one of the greatest ways to connect with others, to grow in your faith, and to one another, one another, and to get into the fabric of the church. And guys, listen, you don't have to overcomplicate this thing. Heavens, you do not. Serving is simply as using the gift God is giving you to help other people. That's all you got to do. Guys, I, the first area that I served in when I was at that church at Parkview is I became a communion leader, okay? Right? So I went from communion leader to this, Alright, so, so if you're a communion leader, look out. You're going to go bald and become a pastor. Like, I don't know, you know? But listen, just, just, just do whatever you got. Just whatever you have. And here's a perfect example. Guys, in a month, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. In a month, our online campus is gonna be launching and our church is gonna be radically changed forever. I cannot wait. But we need people to step up and be part of our tag team experience. We need people to jump in in a couple different ways. One is as chat room hosts, which means that as people are watching this service online live, you will be chatting with them back and forth. And you might say, I don't know if I could do that. Listen, I've seen your Facebook wall, okay? Y'all can chat pretty good, okay? Listen, you know, like you even know the lingo, LOL, smiley face, whatever. You can do it, you know what I'm saying? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to chat for Jesus, okay? That's what I want you to do. I want you to sign up. I want you to become a chat room host, and I want you to emoji your face off just for Jesus. Just go nuts and be a part of that. That's one way. Another way you can do it is we need people to be part of our production team, Guys, we are in dire need of people to help us on cameras, and to be able to help with sound, and to be to help with the production side of things, and I know there are people here that can do that, but you haven't jumped up. Or there are people who are interested in it, and just haven't stepped forward. This is your time, step forward. I want you to go online, crossroadsgrace.org slash online, and I want you to sign up to be a part of that team. It is going to be amazing, and you can be a part of it. You you can look at other areas to serve. We've got so many different areas, I get that, but our online is coming and we need you to be a part because let's just be really, really straightforward. And let me make you a little uncomfortable for a second. Think about this. If we aren't serving one another, we're only serving one. And you know who that one is? It's yourself. It's yourself. And that's not how God designed it to work. And listen, I get it. There are seasons in life where it just doesn't work, where you might have a sick relative. You might have an injury. There might be a major family loss. You, you might just be, have a physical ailment. I get it. There are seasons for that. But listen, I know that is a, the minority of the people, not the majority. The minority, not the majority. Serving is the way that you put your needs, your wants, your desires on hold while you serve someone else. And it's the way that we show others that following Jesus actually means something to us by how we serve them that makes the gospel attractive. That's number two. Let's look at number three. Number three is this. We should encourage one another. Say encourage. Encourage. That's so sad. Encourage one another, right? Encourage. That's what's up. Seven out of 59 times it says encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews spells it out so well in chapter 10 Says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm not sure if there is anything more powerful in this world than encouragement encouraging someone can do more for a person than any sort of stuff you could buy them could be combined. When you hear someone say, you can do it, I believe in you, I see something in you, I love it when you do, you made a difference in my life when you did, you were there for my child when you did, you really show who Jesus is when you, guys, those few words, those couple of seconds of time, those little bits of breath, Might be the very thing that carries a person through a rough day, that pulls them out of a depressed state, that reminds them that they are worth something, that reminds them that they can chase their dream and they're inspired to do it, and encourages them to follow God closer. It's in those little moments that will last a lifetime. I'm standing here today because my youth pastor, when I was in at that little church in South Dakota, said four letters to me that made the difference in my life. He said, I see in you the ability to reach thousands of people for Jesus. And I'm standing here today because that seed was planted in my spirit when I was a 13-year-old kid with braces on my face, and the only reason I was there was because I wanted to meet cute girls. That was the only reason, right? (laughs) But he planted that seed inside me and it grew. And now God is continuing to use that in so many different ways. But and listen carefully to me. Just listen to this. As Christians, we should be the best at encouraging each other. The best. We should set the bar for the entire world of what it looks like to encourage someone in their life and spur them on to greater things. And the best thing is it costs you Nothing. Your encouragement of someone will be more precious to them than diamonds, but it will not have cost you a dime to be able to encourage someone. So encourage each other early and often, and as you do, it will draw you closer to Jesus, and it will make the gospel of Jesus look attractive. And the last thing we see is this. The last one another is to love one another. 25 times out of 59, it says to love one another. And nearly half the times it's discussed... And Jesus describes why that's so important in John 13, where he says, by this, everyone will know you are my, my disciples if you love one another. If there should ever be a reason, ever be a reason for someone to, who knows you as to be a Christian that, that has any idea it should be because of your love, in my prayer is that those people that are far from God or on the fence of Jesus, that they would, they would be tipped over to following him because of the way that we love that that should be the exhaustive. that we should be so exhausted in living that way so that people might know, that they might see and feel so much love that they would want to be drawn to Jesus. Pastor Andy Stanley once said this, that the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. And now, where did he get that? It's a great line, but where did he get it from? The Bible. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Listen to how this is how the first church was described. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Could you imagine, my friends, if the church did this today, if Christians did this today, if we one another, each other like this, the world would be different. Our lives would be different. Our community would be different. If we one another well, we're showing that the gospel of Jesus is attractive. But the reason this is so important, I think, was actually articulated the very best by an 18-year-old high school student as he gave his valedictorian speech. Take a look.
1: I stand before you tonight as the 2019 valedictorian. This time last year, I found out that I was in the running for this title. It was then that I decided I wanted it. So. I worked hard for it. I sacrificed for it. And yes, I stressed for it. And I got it. And at our senior award ceremony, it felt so good when I heard my name announced with this title. It's so good for about 15 seconds. Yeah, 15 seconds of my heart racing and my adrenaline pumping. 15 seconds of, yeah, I won! 15 seconds of being at the top of the pile of all my accomplishments, and it felt euphoric. But there must come a 16th second. And on that 16th second, sat down in my seat, I looked at my silver stole that says valedictorian, and I thought, that's it? What just happened? Why, why am I not feeling anything else? Uh, to be honest, I, I don't even know what I was expecting. A parade of balloons to drop? Or, or maybe I was hoping that all of my problems would fade away in comparison to this amazing achievement. But none of that happened. Not even in my heart. I felt nothing. I was shocked. This was a huge problem for me, and I needed to figure out why. So here was my thought process. Working hard is good. It is in fact biblical, but it should not be done for the sole purpose of a goal shake at the expense of relationship with others. Looking back on this year, I realized that the stress of this year for this goal and a five minute speech was paid for with the lack of attending to relationships in my life. A lesson learned and self-reflection accomplished. Now, I would like you, my fellow classmates, to do some self-reflecting. I would like you to take a moment to fill in a different thing that you strive for and you focus on, something that you thought was the end all be all. Perhaps it was sports, perhaps it was fine arts, academics, getting into a particular school, an unhealthy social life, social media, or video games. Friends, we are about to launch into life and we haven't messed anything up yet. Now think, instead of academics taking your focus off your important relationships, it was your career you chose over your spouse. Instead of sports, It's money that you pursue at the detriment of your children. Instead of just the Instagram-worthy picture, it's striving to be famous at the expense of time with your friends because now you're too self-involved. I'm well aware that this is kind of a downer speech, but I don't care. Because a lesson learned should be a lesson shared. Now, I'm glad that I have only made this mistake of striving for something that is in the light of eternity Not important for just one year. I can't imagine if I had learned this at 50 or at the end of my life. Here's the lesson. Have no regrets in the 16th second. Nothing is more important than your healthy relationships. Nothing. Not your goals, not your successes. Here's why. Relationships are where we get to influence, impact, Change people's lives. Your life cannot be meaningful without them. And we are put on this earth by our Creator, and we all have a purpose to advance God's kingdom that all may be saved. And how we all go about that—that's what's different. It's different in what college we choose, who we marry, and what career we choose. It's different in the triumphs and tragedies that come upon us. But in all those things new relationships are being formed. As you live your life on this earth, there is no greater good than you can do for a person than to love them so much that you point them to Jesus Christ. But first, he should be your first relationship that you cannot neglect. And I want you to know, I have been here at TKA for 14 years and I love this school and I love all of you, my classmates. And tonight, I am imploring you If you have not begun that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, just do it. There is no better way to start something new and close a chapter of your life than with Him. If He is your Lord and Savior, then make sure you care for that relationship above all others. And after that, prioritize what is important in your life and never, never lose focus of your important relationships. So be generous with your time and money and a lot of relational issues will be resolved. And by the way, it's not too late to mend fractured relationships. Any friends you haven't spoken to in a while because of your pride, parents whom you disrespected and teachers who you never thanked, just do it. Humble yourself, start a conversation, have no regrets in the 16th second
0: just let him preach the whole time right so here's what I know I I, I know that um, we all have relationships in our life we have people that are around us because we live in a world and there are people around you that, that that really are dying to know what you really are all about and I just don't want us to have any regret in the 16th second of our life when this life is over that we somehow said we had something that we had more in the tank that we could have given. I don't know about you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave this life exhausted. I'm gonna finish that finish line with nothing left in the tank because why in the world do I need to leave anything behind? What, what, what good is it? Leave it all out there. The reality is, is that eternity is on the line for people. And if we know who that Jesus is, people should be able to tell that it matters to us by how we live our lives, through our acceptance, through our serving, through our encouragement, through our love, all these things. But we've got to decide to be able to live that way. To say, is Jesus just this little card that we hold in our back pocket and one day we'll, we'll unfold it and hand it to God and say, this is my get out of hell free card? Or will we take that out and we put it on our shirts, we put it on our lives, tattoo it on ourselves and say, this is who I am. I don't care who knows friends, the world is looking for something to be attracted to. And it will give all kinds of stuff. But what if we gave them Jesus? What if they were attracted to Jesus? How much different would your life be? My life. The world. That's why communion is so important for us. That every week we take time to be able to remember Jesus. And why we'll pass trays in front of you in just a second, you'll find two cups in there, bread in the bottom, juice in the top. Take them both out. We're going to hold on to them, commune together as a body of believers. We're going to worship as we do that, as we remember who Jesus is. But can you remember that that re- represents what Jesus did for us, what he poured out for us so that we can live lives that are different, that we could one another, one another. Could we not just take that in and do something with it? My friends, we can. I know we can. Today, let's decide to one another, one another and see what happens to this world. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, we come before you right now as we prepare our hearts for communion. If there's anything that's inside us, Lord, that we need to confess to you, God, let's just pour that out to you now so that it can be all on the table and you can forgive us and you can give us what we need and that's your, your love and your grace. But God, I just beg your t- in, in this time right now that you would move in us, that we would think about how we can one another one another well and that we could look to you, Jesus, as the example of why it's possible. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I pray that they would reach out and they would cry out to you, God, and say, God, I need your Son as my Savior. I need that one another. I need to be attracted to that. And God, I pray their lives would be different as they cling to you, Jesus. Claim your name above all names. But that they might look to us as those that are believers, as people they could trust and be attracted to, to find out more. So, God, we ask that you would move in this place as we remember you well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.